Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. This has been so fun to re-release the top 10 episodes from 2018. We are continuing today with number seven, but I just wanted to remind you to visit us on Instagram or Facebook today for our giveaway. We're hosting a total of 10 giveaways in December, but they only last one day. So hurry over to check it out. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. Today's sponsor is Chick-fil-A East Peoria, and they have quite a few exciting updates that I'm going to share later on in this episode. You can visit them online at cfaeastpeoria.com. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Dr. Douglas Rosenau. He has truly been a pioneer in Christian sex therapy. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified sex therapist, author, speaker, adjunct professor, and co-founder of Sexual Wholeness. His training in both theology and counseling helps couples enrich and reclaim God's wonderful gift of sexual intimacy. He was also my professor and supervisor in graduate school, so my husband and I know him well. Today, we talk about deepening levels of marital intimacy, and you will hear him use a car analogy as he explains brakes and accelerators for couples in the bedroom. I hope you find this chat to be fun and beneficial. Hello, Dr. Doug. Oh, this is exciting because we've known each other so long. And uh, so I'm just glad to be here. This is going to be fun. Thank you so much for joining us. And you are a co-founder of Sexual Wholeness. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that journey? Well, Laura, it started way back in the 70s where a friend of mine... um, when I was in working on my doctorate, went to take a sex therapy class. I was at Northern Illinois at the time at university, and she took it at Loyola Med School in Chicago. And it just piqued my curiosity, and it made me think the church doesn't deal with sex very well. And so I went and, and took uh, classes from the med school in sex therapy, and then the, the university had a, and the psychology had a sex therapy practicum. So it's kind of like way back then, God was saying, I would like you to cultivate a sexually healthy church. And I would like you to be able to really uh, unfold some of this, especially for people of faith. And you have done that so well. I know that having a good theology of sex has always been very important to you. So can you just give us a brief overview of your beliefs in that area? Well, people sometimes, oftentimes will ask me, why did... You and I and many of our listeners will believe there is a creator God. So why did that creator God create us sexual beings, male and female, which back in Genesis, it says we're created in his image, male and female. And I I think when people ask me, why did God create sex? I would say because he's intimate and loving and he really wanted to have some ways that human beings could express that. And so our sexuality really to me is a reflection of who God is and how he relates and the importance of relationships, which is a real important part of my theology is that sex was about intimacy, not about the buzz, the rush, the excitement, but it's about connection. And and so my theology would be we're sexual beings because it adds a richness to every relationship, just being gendered, man and woman. And then the fact that we can be sexually attracted and aroused and 
enter into relationships and especially into marriage where there can be a gentle expression. To me, that's really reflecting a lot of who God is and the oneness and the intimacy that he would like us to experience as humans. You say that so well, and you've written about it in so many of your books, which are all wonderful. And we will link to those in the show notes so everybody can see where to learn more. But what would you say are some factors that influence the level of intimacy spouses will experience with one another? You know what I would, what I think is really important when we look at intimacy, and I'm, I'm thinking of, I work a lot with couples with moms with kids and are just, just families, you know, and so I'm thinking there's, it's so complex when you think about how do we create a really good sex life together? But I think part of it is just time and energy, you know, that we don't set enough time apart. I think that there's there's part of it that sometimes we maybe haven't, even like this podcast, we really haven't taken the time to really think through, like a question that I like to ask couples is, what does sex mean to you? And I think that if they can think that through, like is expressing affection, is recreation, is whatever it is, but it's really complex. And all of those factors of while the meaning they want it to be in their sex life, there's just all kinds of roadblocks, all kinds of barriers to express affection, to have the energy to, to play and to have fun together. And especially if you have children and that are interfering with those times. Certainly. And that's so many people listening yes. today. So in that stage, you mentioned time and energy. How do they carve out their schedule to make sure they save time and energy to connect with one another? Well, I think sometimes husbands don't realize, uh, and we're going to talk about aphrodisiacs later, but but I, I don't think husbands realize sometimes that a real aphrodisiac would be them letting their wife go take a bubble bath and them getting the kids ready for bed and, and reading a story or making or when they come home from work, maybe taking time to take the kids totally off of her for a while, that, 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 that type of, not only does it show concern and her heart will be, and her, because her heart is more connected, then her body will be more open and, 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 and desire. But I, I don't think we think sometimes just things, the little gestures like that, that can make a real difference with time and energy, like giving the kids a bath, like, you know, maybe taking the time to take them out to the park while mom, you know, just so I, and I, but I think that the other way around, there's also ways that when we look at it, that, that wives can really be, you know, just with the flirting and, and, and just some of those types of things that when you're tired, don't come as easy. But I mean, just, you know, every once in a while, my wife will playfully grab my crotch. That's not for her sake. That's for me. You know what I mean? So I think some of those little gestures of just flirtatiousness and, and flashing them now and again or whatever it is, I think those take a little extra energy, a little extra thoughtfulness and intentionality both ways to make to make it. So it's so complex of what gets in the way and a lot of these little things that can make a real difference in terms of a, a, just a romantic love life that's invigorating. So in general, what would you say are a few breaks and accelerators for both genders? Yeah, I think some of the breaks we're already getting at, and that is that um, a big one, there's a book called Secrets of Eve, and they, they studied in thousands of, of women. And I thought, I thought when I read that study, I thought, you know what gets, you know what's the biggest break for women? I thought was going to be desire. It's like four on the list. The, the biggest is fatigue. It's just being tired. 
And, and an, another one that was really a break for wives, especially, was not feeling emotionally connected. Because they really want their husband to make love to them, not just to have sex. Sweet. And so I think that can be a break. So what would be accelerators? Well, part of it would be truly paying attention, you know, making time. And maybe the self-nurture of, of, of working with fatigue with an app or somehow, you know, being able to work around that. Just gender differences, too. I don't think we can walk in each other's shoes fully. It's really difficult at times. Like young couples will come to me and the wife will say to me, why is my husband walking around naked all the time? And I'll say, oh, sweetheart, I said, I think he's walking around naked because that's what he wants you to do. And, and they'll say to me, well, him just hanging out doesn't do much for me. <laughs> but I says, oh, but your body, you're Eve to him. You know, there is an attraction there. So I think a break could be just staying in mommy clothes and old sweatshirts and jeans and not dressing up and being sexy. I think a break sometimes was not realizing for the, the husband, a real accelerator is just naked, you know, because I remember I was laughing because I was reading one thing on the Internet where it's saying that that, you know, here's what is really accelerators for wives. There's like pages of, you know, you know, feed the kids and, and, and take time to shave and put a little aftershave, you know, and do this or that. And and, and, and the advice to women were come naked and have food. <laughs> <laughs> that was their advice of the great accelerators. <laughs> so there's a lot of difference there of what would be a break and accelerator. I think just gender wise, but some of these are in general. I think like making time, that would be a break and an accelerator to really, to really make time for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that idea of just being flirtatious and, and flirting where it doesn't have to lead anywhere. I think that's a real accelerator. So I think there's some of those that would be in common too. That's great. I love it. And you also teach often about lovemaking as a continuum. Could you break down that continuum oh, okay. for us? Okay. So what I think can happen is if we did it on a continuum of zero to 10. So I oftentimes get couples complaining about duty and pity sex, that it isn't fun for the wife, definitely. And it isn't really fun for the husband either. And so I think zero to two is, is, I usually start with just pity sex. That's one. Uh, well, I, you know, you need it or, you know, and then the duty sex is, well, this is my responsibility, but it's really not done with gracious giving or any type of real invitation. And so what I, what I say is that what we're trying to do is get into nurturing, connecting and passionate sexuality and lovemaking. And so the nurturing lovemaking would be, and I know I'm stereotyping a little bit, but about 80% of relationships, the man is the high drive, more testosterone, will think about sex more frequently, desire more physical, you know, release and just enjoyment. So to me, if, if I'm thinking of that, so three and four of nurturing sex would be the wife may be saying, uh, you know, I hadn't thought about it all day. Um, I'm really tired, but I know this is a language that really meets your soul needs, your heart needs, and, and really is something that, that, that connects with you. So could I, you know, I don't want an orgasm tonight, but we could even do intercourse, but it's going to be more nurturing than passionate or connecting. And so I think when I look at the continuum, most really good sex takes place about three to six. It's really nurturing and connecting. 
it's the passionate at times. You really have to have that 45 minutes to an hour. Sometimes it's hotel sex. It's on vacation where you're really feeling connected and rested and no kids are there. They're all at grandma's, <laughs> you know? So I think that there's some of this that I try to tell people I was, I was hearing a lecture a while back and it talked about good enough sex. It was, it was um, Barry McCarthy and I, I like, he writes really well, but Barry was saying, how would you define good enough sex? And, and all of us were saying, well, settling, I think, not very good at all. He said, no, he said, that is really where most of lovemaking takes place from three to six on the continuum. He said, it really is something that's done for connecting, for recreation, uh, for kind of clearing the air and making you an item again, because this is not something you do with anyone else. And so I, I think when I look at the continuum, and I'm certainly speaking especially into weary moms, you know, sometimes it's just going to be nurturing. And sometimes it's going to be, you know, because women are so unpredictable, you know, it may be nurturing and all of a sudden they're thinking, this is fun. Because <laughs> we're really seeing, Laura, we're really seeing that with women, desire oftentimes comes after activity doesn't motivate it. And so, and so it's not like, wow, I'm feeling horny, let's do it. It's kind of like, I'm exhausted, but this could be meaningful. And since you initiated and you've been really nice for three days, uh, you know, this could be a good thing. That's still not desire at times. Sometimes it's actually in the bed and bodies start to be aroused. And then you're thinking, yeah, we should do this more often, maybe. So I, I think that there's a part of that, that when you try to think through that continuum, that sometimes it's going to be nurturing, but it could bump into connecting before you know it. And maybe even get up to passionate, get up to seven, eight or nine. But I, but I think if we could, with that continuum, we could really think, yeah, good enough is good. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's very realistic. Like you're saying, meeting that couple where they're at. Right. But I'll just get like wives have said to me sometimes, you know, I know you have a greater desire than I do, but I don't want you masturbating. I, I'll give you a hand job. We'll, we'll, we'll do something manual or we'll do something where we can be connected and be intimate. It may be a three, but sometimes we just need to do three for you, bud, <laughs> you know, because I can't muster a six. <laughs> and so I think that there's some of that when I look at that continuum that we're saying, yeah, three's good. Three's good. Yeah. And you've even mentioned. And it's nurturing at times. And you write in your book that sometimes women are coming to you saying, I actually do not desire an orgasm every single time, especially in certain stages of life when I'm really stressed or there's little kids at home. And you give a rule of thumb in there that, hey, that's okay. Let's just say at least 50% of the time she's reaching orgasm. Right. But then letting her off the hook if she does want right. to offer that nurturing oh, connection. Oh, because I get wives saying to me, you know, my clients saying to me, you know, Doug, my husband can climax in two minutes, but I just take more time and focus and I get distracted and I have, you know, I'm more like 15, 20. And, and they're saying, I just don't want to take that time sometime. I'm too tired, but I really would like to be sexual. <laughs> and so the husband that was, you know, I've had husbands say, no. You know, if you can't climax and really have fun and get into it. I remember one young couple I was working with and they had, she had two under the age of two, you know, so she had like an infant, like a two month old and a whatever, 18 month or two, you know. And so he was just saying, oh no, we can't do, you know, we can't do nurturing. If you can't get into it. 
And this was so funny. Finally, she looked at him and she said, you know, I take care of the babies. I take care of so many different things. And what is two minutes of my time? <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, a little quick, aren't we? A little quick here. But I think she was trying to say, Buster, you need this. This is, you know, I, I want to nurture you too. Sure. <laughs> and, and, and I thought that was funny. What's two minutes of my time? <laughs> I love it. And you have a gift for inviting people into this conversation about sexual intimacy and marriage. And you've helped give vocabulary to this topic through your many books and your seminars. So the book that we're going to focus on today is one that you recently co-authored with Dr. Deborah Neal, and it's entitled Total Intimacy. Can you describe the different colors and types of intimacy you cover in this book? Sure. And, and I think that this will really help us with the brakes and accelerators, too. You know, before I begin that, you, you kind of triggered in me um, how difficult it is sometimes just to have a language and to be real for couples, too, to really create language. So it's funny when, when like one young couple I was working with, they all of a sudden started laughing and I said, what's going on? And they said, well, my pastor that referred me to you said, you'll see Dr. Doug. It's going to be like you're, that old show, Mr. Rogers. It's like you're in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. But then things are going to come out of Doug's mouth that are nothing like Fred Rogers would ever say. But don't be alarmed. He's a good man. And, and he, just, he just talks about sex so much, he has no filter. And I just <laughs> laughed like, no, this is not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. I'm sorry. <laughs> But I think we have to have the language. And so mm-hmm. what we were trying to think through was to color code and say, if you want a good sex life, alive and meaningful, and that you really need three types of intimacy. And so we started with green intimacy. And green intimacy was being intimate companions, being good friends. And we're saying that that's really foundational. You don't want to sleep with the enemy. So part of building trust um, learning to just share life together, a lot of communicating. So we talk through green with things like learning how to really communicate well and the importance of that. We talk about building trust. We talk about even just sharing spiritually things that create a deeper intimacy, a deeper sharing of life and companionship. And so we chose these colors in part meaningfully. The green was because so much of life and growth is green, leaves and trees and grass and you know, and all of that is green. And so we thought that that's a good one to say, you got to be growing that friendship and really feeling close to each other and feeling that intimate companionship. And another part we talk about with green intimacy is you need physical affection and it'll be the physical affection in some ways is just like you have with your children, but, but it's still a physical affection that really is connecting. So sitting close on the couch rather than in your two separate easy chairs when you watch a movie together at home. Uh, just doing um, more hugging and, and, and just touching and, and that kind of thing. And so what we're, what we're saying too, Laura, with the colors, and so I'm going to get into purple here now and talk about purple. So we say that the colors really are on a continuum of very light green to dark green. And so there's probably some dark green that you may not do with your kids. You know, you may not sit in each other's laps basically for an hour. That's probably not what you do with your kids. So that's really dark green. Then the light purple and purple, I'm, I think that's the color that's neglected and the type of energy that's neglected the most, which is being lovers, being flirtatious, but it doesn't have to lead anywhere. And so with purple, what I will say is, do you ever, are you still kissing on the mouth? 
you know, passionately. Not that, and it doesn't have to be just in the bedroom, you know, could you on it before he goes to work, <laughs> you know, give him a kiss for like five seconds, right on the mouth, a little tongue even maybe, but I mean, just really kiss. Or I'll say, you know, could you hug for two minutes or even for a minute? And because sometimes people will say, well, tell me, Dr. Doug, what the difference between green and purple intimacy is. And I'll say, well, if I met your wife at church and I hugged her for a minute, what would you start thinking? You'd say, whoa, whoa, this is a little too intimate. Now, if I gave her that five second brotherly hug, we'd be cool. So green hugs are different than purple hugs in some ways. And a green kiss on the cheek is different than five seconds mouth to mouth which you wouldn't do with your children. So I'm, I just think that we, and, and I think men especially, really lose a lot of intimate sexual connecting and flirting because it always has to lead somewhere. One, one couple was saying, he came home from work and I was feeling kind of frisky and I think tonight's the night and we're going to have fun. And so he came home and I was at the stove cooking and the kids were on a video in the, in the, in the den and, and he came up and grabbed me and hugged me and grabbed my boobs like he usually does. And uh, and she said, I felt like just kind of rubbing my butt in his crotch and just kind of playing with him a little bit and having fun. But she said, I knew if I did that, he'd want to have sex immediately. He'd make sure the kids had another half hour video. He'd make me stop the meal. And I, I looked at him, I said, Buster, I said, you're losing a lot of fun times together because it always has to lead somewhere. So I think that purple to me is probably neglected. Mm. Now, light purple, of course, would be where I, where I talk about with dating couples and that kind of thing. I'm saying, you know, to me, when I look at this, God blessed general expression of sexuality for marriage and between a man and a woman. But I think that whole feeling attracted and aroused and, and enjoying. And, and so I look at purple about, I, I always say it's for sensual connecting. It's not for arousal, but it is arousing. Mm. You know, because I mean, you kiss the woman of your life or the man of your life on the mouth for 10 seconds. There could be a little arousal there. Does that make sense? Kind of like we don't do purple enough, I don't think, Laura. We really don't to allow that to be there. That makes perfect sense. And it's very clarifying to hear all of your language around this. That really helps. Because even like, like when I was, when I talk to couples, sometimes I give them the language, like the colors, like one young couple said, oh, I think they were in their forties, but anyway, that's young to me. But, uh, but they just said, oh, we do purple hugs all the time. And I said, well, what's purple hugs? No, they were younger because they didn't have kids yet. They didn't have any children yet. So anyway, I said, well, what's, what's, what's the, they said, we do shower hugs. I said, what's a shower hug? They said, well, we both like to take a quick shower before we go to work in the morning. So the one that's in there first, you know, shower hugs. And we get in there, we get in the shower together and hug each other naked, rub a little bit. But we know we got to get to work. So it's always purple, dog. It's always purple, but it's so much fun. And then, and I thought, yeah, that's a good example of purple. Shower hugs. Perfect. Shower hugs. Practical things somebody could try tonight. Yeah. Yeah. And, and. Just kind of coaching, I think especially husbands up about how learn to flirt. One of my couples, she was really saying, I know that he likes my body, but I just hate flaunting it. And i am got a little bit of body image, which is a big break for women at times, this whole body image. But this was so funny. So she said, I was going to really, she said, I was at the picture window. No one was around out on the front yard. And he was busy out there mowing the yard with our riding mower. And she said, I didn't have any bra on or anything. I just lifted up my sweatshirt and flashed him. And she said, he ran right over a flower bed. 
she said, I think I need to do it more often. And it was really a surprise. <laughs> but I think that's purple. I think that the ability to say, we have, we have ways that we can arouse and excite and have fun together. And then the orange would be sex. But I, I always talk about how light orange to dark orange, and sometimes what we neglect with the, with the lighter orange is just enough foreplay, enough love play that can be connecting and arousing. And then as we got into the, the orange section of the book is where we really talked a lot about the continuum too and talked a little bit about the differing desires and talked about breaks and accelerators in this total intimacy book. So our orange, we're trying to not be simplistic. And I think what we're trying to say is, here's the thing that really bugs me, is I come from a real conservative Christian background and I don't think within Christianity or within Conservative faith, Islam and Jewish too, at times, I don't think we give women enough of a sexual voice. We oftentimes say it's your duty to pleasure your husband, to serve him. And that's just not God's plan. God's plan is it be mutual. And and I had, this is just recently, I don't know what she was, like 26. And and she was just saying, I saying, well, well, friend, do you enjoy sex for yourself and, and for your, you know? And she said, oh, that would be selfish. I think God wants me to be there to serve my husband. And I said to her, I said, I'm dad to them. So I use language. I said, sugar, I said, listen to me. I said, I said, do you know what the biggest turn on to a husband is? And she, she was, Dr. Doug, she was hanging on my every word there. And uh, I said, the biggest turn on to a husband is a turned on wife. And I said, you know, I said, you not really enjoying your own and making it mutual. And so we really talk about mutuality in the book and in our orange section of saying, this is something that is unique. It'll have uniquely male flavors, uniquely female flavors, and ways and things that are good. But you need to learn that language. You need to learn how to pleasure each other and how to please and to really tailor it to that person and not expect them to be like you. Oh, that's so good. There's so much wisdom packed in all of that. And I want to touch on something that you had mentioned earlier with the 80% of the time that it is the husband that's the higher desire in Mm -hmm. the relationship. They're never the same, but 20% of the time the wife is. Let's speak to that wife because sometimes they're not given as much airtime. You know, and when you think about that, Laura, actually, if we had a hundred men, that's 20. That's a lot of men, Mm -hmm. you know? And here's another thing that I think is really important to think about is whether, you know, in a marriage, if you're a little bit more the high drive, high desire, are the low drive, low desire. Those are hard roles to fill <laughs> because I, let's, let's assume, and I'm going to get to the 20%, Sure. but let's assume, well, either way, you know, the person who's the low desire will feel like I'm the gatekeeper. I'm the, I'm the stick in the mud. I'm the one that's always pouring water on the, you know, raining on the parade. Mm-hmm. And the one that's the high desire thinking, oh, I'm just going to open myself up for rejection. Uh, I hate to be always the initiator. And so I think whether it's the husband or wife, those are not easy roles to be in that we can kind of help. So if the if the husband is the lower desire, then helping him feel like he's just as much a man, because kind of the stereotype is men are always horny, always ready. And it's not true, obviously. And and so it's it's really being able for the high desire person to kind of cater a bit to the lower desire. And realize that the lower desire is going to slow it down and make it richer at times. And and then the lower desire really saying, not making it like, you know, you're a sex fiend. 
but more like, wow, you express and, and, and feel things through our lovemaking that I don't all the time, but talk to me and let's, let's negotiate and think through what would be a helpful amount of time. I think what happens sometimes with the low desire, high desire, whether it's the wife or the husband, is I think it can get to where they just get frustrated with each other rather than really talking it through carefully. And so often it's really not about numbers. It's about, it's about the heart. It's about really talking it through so that, you know, the couple comes in and says, you know, the one partner says, well, we make love maybe twice a month and I would like to make love once or twice a week. And so they're really far apart. And, and so I'm trying to, trying to help them really hear each other's heart. So I'll tell the, the, the higher, the lower desire drive one, I'll say, you know, that person's not a sex fiend. <laughs> you know, this is not someone that just wants to use you. Uh, but then I'll tell, I'll talk to the higher drive and say, you know, he or she doesn't hate sex and enjoys it with you. And so sometimes they leave my office really understanding each other better and really negotiating and talking it through from their heart, you know, more. And so I might have, they may have been making love twice a month and I may have upped it to three or four times a month, but they're both happy because they've really thought through beyond the metrics, beyond the numbers to really understanding high and low drive and frequency. And they've really talked about it. So I think that's so important, whether it's the wife or the husband, to really be able to negotiate, to, to engage, to accept, to not be judgmental, but just to have curiosity about, okay, what would be good for you? Well, that wouldn't be good for me, but talk to me. And what could we do to make it different? And so I think sometimes that the conversations around it and trying not to be judgmental, but just to realize it will vary. And sometimes it'll vary with the wife being the high drive. Definitely. And so then they're going to have to take the high drive position and not make that person feel inferior or less or never wanting sex, but really just trying to think it through. How do I help my husband engage and I think another thing that happens with drive at times is sometimes we feel like nothing's going to ever affect that drive, but it does. You know, I'll, I'll oftentimes get husbands in my office saying, is something wrong with me? Like one lawyer recently, he said, I was preparing for a case. He said, I put in 14 hour days, sometimes two weeks in a row. And I said, there's nothing wrong with your libido. You're just exhausted. I don't care if you're a man with a high drive, you're exhausted and your libido has been poured into that trial you have coming up. Sometimes just to be able to talk, negotiate, understand is important in working it through. It's so good. And to not be critical or judgmental right, to right. understand it. Let me just do a real, I mean, this is a little bit different, but so often we will bump into in the orange part just with, with uh, dysfunction some. Like sometimes it'll be wise with pain. And I always say, don't play through pain. See your OBGYN or see a physical therapist that deals with pelvic floor because there's a lot of good pelvic floor, female physical therapists, pelvic floor specialists that could help deal with pain. And then sometimes I'm getting things like erectile difficulties, you know, like I, I just cannot stay erect. And so this was, this was one of my husband's stories where they came in and they were really struggling with it. And, and what had happened was this, was he came home from being on the road traveling. His job called quite a bit of travel. So he'd been gone three days came home Friday. They were both really excited, but he fought Atlanta traffic for an hour and a half to get home. I mean, it's typical Atlanta traffic where I live. 
And then she was so excited. She said, let's go out and have a good meal together and just talk and catch up. And then you know what we're going to do tonight. And so they were all excited. And so he went out, had a couple beers or a couple martinis and, and a big meal and came home exhausted. He couldn't get erect. He couldn't. And, and, I, and I thought, oh, dear Lord, I wish I could have been there right then because I would have said to them, don't get nervous. He fought Atlanta traffic. He's exhausted from three days of being away. Uh, he really is excited to see you. It's nothing about you. It's nothing about him. It's just tired. And he had probably one too many drinks, maybe, which is a depressant and a big meal and so on and so forth. So they came into me all upset because both of them were mentally up on the bedpost, worried about can he ever, you know, his whole erection and, and, and being able to be sexually aroused. And it went away really quickly when they when they realized it was just normal things that will affect orange arousal at times for the man and the wife, for the high drive, low drive, whatever. If they acknowledge those and just accept it, oftentimes the dysfunction doesn't even take place. That's amazing and probably really helpful for somebody to hear because... Oh, yeah, for wives especially, not to take it personal and just say, Mm -hmm. oh, baby, you must be tired. We'll try it again tomorrow. (laughs) Absolutely. Got the rest of our lives. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And now a brief message from our sponsor. I want to say thank you to our longtime sponsor, Chick-fil-A East Peoria, and I want to share a few updates with you about Chick-fil-A East Peoria. First of all, I hope that you've already downloaded the Chick-fil-A app, because did you know that with the app you can skip the line and have food ready for you when you arrive? You can even sit down at your favorite table and have your meal brought directly to you as you get settled in. This is one of my favorite options when I'm taking my four daughters to Chick-fil-A East Peoria. So with this Chick-fil-A app, you can do all these things while earning points toward free rewards that are fully customized to your preferences and tastes. So I hope you download the Chick-fil-A app today and start earning your free treats. I also want to update you on Chick-fil-A East Peoria's new product, Mac and Cheese. This is a classic recipe featuring a blend of Monterey Jack, cheddar, Parmesan, and Romano cheeses. The mac and cheese is baked fresh daily in the restaurant, so it tastes like home. They have it available as a premium side, a kid's meal side option, and in catering trays. I know our family loves to use the catering option when we're hosting people at our home, and if we get the Chick-fil-A mac and cheese, we know that the kids and adults alike will love something we're serving. Finally, I want to let you know that Chick-fil-A was named as one of Glassdoor's best places to work in the nation. That's a huge honor. And one team member even wrote, no comparison. This is a great job for a first job, extra money, or for career advancement. Such a loving environment, great management, and fair pay. Chick-fil-A believes that the local and involved ownership ensures fostering an environment where you are known, challenged, and cared for. So if you're looking for a wonderful place to work, I would love to encourage you to visit Chick-fil-A East Peoria or fill out an application online today at cfaeastpeoria.com. Now that you've given us language to feel more comfortable dialoguing about sexual intimacy with our spouse, what is the next step? a listener can take today? What I would work on is for them to think through their green, purple, and orange and try to say, what would do to help us be better friends? Are we taking enough time? We haven't prayed together in ages. Could we maybe hold hands and just pray over something together? So I would say, think through green a little bit better 
and what it would be about the grain that would, would help them grow the friendship and the intimate companionship. Then I would think about purple and maybe think through how could we be flirtatious? It wouldn't necessarily have to lead anywhere, but we could just be lovers and we could really enjoy each other. And then the orange, I know that there'd ways that they could think of brakes and accelerators and try to sort out. So that would be my general idea of just saying, think that there are three kinds of intimacy and three kinds that really help to make a great sex life and that you can't neglect any of the colors. That's so good. And they've got this recording today as a resource if they want to listen to this together and they can pull some questions from good. everything that you've shared. Good. So that's great. You have so many books and resources available. Do you mind just sharing more about those so our friends listening okay. know where to find more information? Okay. Well, the one that we talked about more today is Total Intimacy. And it's uh, available on Amazon, Christian book, just a really short 100 pages, easy read, a lot of just practical suggestions. We really try to have a lot of good discussion questions in it. And then my my big manual is called A Celebration of Sex, and it's a bestseller. Anything that sells over 100,000 copies is considered a bestseller. So A Celebration of Sex. And what I oftentimes tell people with that manual is buy it for three or four chapters. You don't have to read it all 400 pages, but you may buy it because of chapter six, natural aphrodisiacs and setting the mood, or you might buy it for the chapter on making love during the children years and how can you stay lovers during those children years. Or you might buy it just for uh, making love to your husband and trying to think through some different ideas and trying to understand a whole different reality and a whole different gender. So I always tell when you buy like Celebration, the big the big book. And then I, we spun it off with some friends into Celebration After 50 for Sex and Aging with Jim and Carolyn Childerston. And then have a little one's called Celebration Sex for Newlyweds, where we have like 135-page little, little book that is really a nice wedding gift. So that would be that part of it. And then I've done some things with singles and, and, and working with that, and I'm just working at re, revising that. But it's called Soul Virgins, but it's just the whole idea of how do we have boundaries and how do we work through really having the freedom of good choices in this culture that's so sexually saturated. Then I'm just starting to, a friend is helping me and I'm starting to try to tweet. So Dr. Doug underscore ISW, all little case. Perfect. We will link to all of those in the show notes so somebody can easily find you and connect. And if you're local here to Atlanta, you're very lucky. This is where Dr. Doug has his private practice. So as we tie up today, we're called the Savvy Sauce for a reason. Savvy means practical knowledge or discernment, and we would love to hear some insight from your life to inspire us with our own action item. So as our final question today, what's your savvy sauce? My savvy sauce would be two-minute hugs. I think couples are going to be really surprised when you take two minutes to melt into each other, not a wooden perfunctory hug, but almost hearing each other's hearts. And really, maybe even during that minute, two-minute hug, whispering something really nice and affirming to your mate. So that would be my, if I were going to say, what do I want? One thing to take away, please, please, please try a two-minute hug and see what that green, purple, orange, what you're kind of combining all of those and making that something really special. But it really can make a difference. It really can make a difference. Well, you are such a skilled therapist. You're a respectable leader. And you're my dear friend. So I'm just better from knowing you. And I'm sure our listeners are saying the same thing after hearing you today. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. 
One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10:9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.